0: Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jason here. I'm glad to be back with you here on this episode it's been a little while, but I'm glad to be able to share with you. I want to talk to you today about a topic that's really helped me uh, through my life. I've, I've taken, been able to take steps when I've had uh, times of failure in my life, and I was reading the scripture the other day, and it's amazing how when you're reading God's word, you can see steps to help overcome problems and issues in your life. But as, as I was, I hadn't really ever seen this before in the 51st Psalm where David had shared uh, part of his uh, part of his heart's cry if you will remember the psalm was probably a song and it was written you remember David what he was was he was a musician so he played the harp if you remember for King Saul so he had a song in his heart and 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 this is interesting uh, that that how he lays this out in the 51st psalm but you know all of us have had times of struggle in our life and times that we failed God or feel like we failed God and many times it's like you know how do i how do i pull myself back up how do i make it again and the truth is there are people that walk into church and fail god uh, they make a commitment to god uh, they they pray a prayer of salvation uh, they see God working, you know, doing a work in them. And then literally they'll walk out of church because they fail. They'll walk away from God because they feel like they're not good enough. They'll walk away from God because they feel like the task is just too big to be able to serve God. It's just too hard. The truth is, Christendom is hard. Following Christ is hard. Being a Christ follower is hard. Now, saying a prayer and saying that you're right with God, that's not hard. Anybody can do that and say that. But to be able to stick in there, and to be able to do what God wants us to do. And and, and somehow, it's it seems like sometimes there's a vast uh, array or a, a, a canal, if you will. Uh, there's a long way from where we are and where we want to be. It seems like, you know, that God demands so much. Uh, but the truth is, if we remember the scripture, the Bible says, Jesus said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we may experience sin and we may experience failure, but there are ways to overcome these failures in our life. And and really, as I looked at Psalm 51 and read what David wrote, remember, this was after his failure with Bathsheba. Now, we don't know how long after, but it was shortly after most of your commentators believe. But he had made that great failure with Bathsheba. We all know the story. He saw Bathsheba he wanted her, you know. He he slept with her. Then he sent uh, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, out on the front uh, uh, battleground uh, with the descendants of Amnon. And as they went out, then he knew that he was going to get killed. And the prophet Nathan came to him, and he said to him, he said, there was this man, and he was a poor man, and there was a rich man. And he basically gave him a story of analogy, saying that, and the rich man had many ewe lambs, but the poor man only had one ewe lamb. And the rich man saw that there was a. Traveler coming by and he said so the rich man decided instead of taking him his own flock he would take someone else's flock and and nathan's telling david this story and david just gets wroth he gets mad and upset and says you know basically he took the poor man's only lamb and he destroyed it and david said well this man shall surely die and he shall pay him back fourfold. That's in, uh, for second Samuel chapter 12, he said, he shall surely die and he shall restore a lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, thou art the man. So the guilt you can imagine as David was so wroth and man, he's ready to kill somebody. And then he realizes, oh my goodness, he was talking about me. And he said, this is the judgment that God has set against you. And we know that David paid a price of his firstborn son with Bathsheba, that then their son was, was killed at childbirth. So he was, he lost, you know, he had a penalty to pay. And so probably sometime after he grasped with that and dealt with that, he wrote the 51st Psalm. And basically, David says to him, he said, have mercy on me. That's how he starts the psalm. When we fail God, when we've made a mistake, there's only one plea we can make. We can't plea that we've done good things. We can't plea that we're a good person. We can't plea that we've served God for 10 years and had a spotless record. There's only one plea we need is to have mercy. And here's what David says in verse 2. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And the first verse says, my transgression. Now that's important because he's owning it. Too many times when we fail the truth is we try to make every excuse why we failed. You know, this person caused me to do it. They shouldn't have said this to me or I wouldn't have done that. No, the truth is sin starts in our heart. It starts in what we choose to do. It starts in our uh, in our soul, our mind, our will and our emotions. Our will is simply what chooses to do wrong or to chooses to do right. And David says, "For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me." When we fail, and I know this sounds uh, probably basic, but the truth is, how many times do we fail and we try to come up with excuses? It doesn't matter if it's an argument with our wife, if with our spouse, it doesn't matter if it's something we did at the workplace, it doesn't matter if it's uh, we, we even failed our ministry, whatever it is. The truth is, we have to acknowledge it and David said that I acknowledge my sin. And then he says in verse 7 of Psalm 51, and this is interesting, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall become clean, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. If you remember, uh, there's a principle of first mention in the Bible. And so when we see the word hyssop, we can go back. And the first time hyssop was mentioned was when the Passover lamb, we remember on the Passover, the great judgment came against Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians. And and God told his people, he said, get the hyssop and dip it in the blood and, and put it over the doorposts on the sides, on the mantle, on the top and on the sides, and, and take that hyssop brand and dip it in the blood and then put it over the top and then the death angel will pass over and then your young will not be destroyed and that's such an interesting thing we know that the blood is the blood of the lamb that's what it was they killed the lamb and they had they would take it and then spread the the blood's lamb and and we can do nothing to obtain the lamb but what we do need to do is we need to apply that blood and so hyssop speaks of faith it was also a hyssop branch that was used to take the sponge of vinegar up to our Lord and Savior and and to be able to give it to him and to get him to taste of it. It was, it was the raising of that hyssop branch on the doorpost, the raising of that hyssop, hyssop branch that we must do in our soul. We must raise it, you know. The devil would like nothing more than us to wallow in our sin to wallow in our in our sickness and wallow because the Bible says that so a man thinks in his heart so easy. So the devil's goal is to keep you down in the ditch. We have to somehow, when we're in that dip, raise in that ditch, raise the hyssop branch and say, God, I can do nothing. But by faith, faith is faith. And that, that's where it gets people say, oh, just have faith. Oh, just have faith in what? Well, when I've sinned, there's only one place my faith can go. My faith can't go in good works, although I believe in good works. My faith can't go in all of the Bible that I've read and all the years that I've read it, even though that's good things. My faith can't go in the prayer that I say. My faith, all of that stuff is futile when it comes to doing things in the kingdom of God. Our faith has to be placed in the cross. And I've seen people talk about this, and, and and for years I didn't quite understand it, in the cross, in the cross, in the cross. Faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross. When I fail, when I stumble, when I'm in the ditch, the first thing I need to do is say, God, have mercy on me and my sin and my iniquity. But I raise up that branch of hyssop and I say, God, please forgive me. I acknowledge my need for you, my need for the work that you did on the cross. David in his life, he, Christ had not come to the earth. So Dave looked, David looked forward to Christ coming for the full atonement of his sin. We know that the blood of bulls and goats could never blot out our sin, but it was a temporary, it was a temporary. A substitution for the blood that was to come in the blood of Christ, and the people in the tabernacle knew that. They looked forward to the Messiah, and they knew when the Messiah came that their sin would be forgiven forever. But we look back on the cross and we raise that branch in faith and say, Jesus, you have overcome this sin, no matter how great, no matter how small. Remember, that's where I find great resolve in, in things that I do. Is that there's there's no height. There, there, you know, some sins may have different consequences. You know, if I go rob a bank, I'm going to be in jail. But at the same time, I can be forgiven before the judgment's even out on what my sentencing should be. I can be forgiven before I even sit down in the cop car if my heart's right with God. But he says, it's purged me with hyssop. And then he says this in verse 10, creating me a clean heart. And that's the inward renewal. The truth is, I've seen so many people make mistakes and then they turn around and make another mistake and make another mistake. They say, okay, well, this person did that. This person did that. Now you're doing this. No, 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 no. in me a clean heart, oh God. Because the truth is, our heart is deceitfully wicked, the Bible says, and no man can know it. So it's that inward renewal that David talks about, and he's talking about that in verse seven through verse 12. He says, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In other words, my spirit's not right. Every time we fail and make a mistake, that devil will accuse us, he is the accuser of the brethren, we will feel bad, but then we will jump from the ditch of pride and and self-pity. Pride and self-pity. And by the way, self-pity is just a as bad as pride. You're feeling sorry for yourself, you're a scallywag, you're no good. I'm gonna go eat worms. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm gonna go eat worms. I'm just miserable. You're saying you're miserable God created you in his image And you're going to sit there And wallow in the muck And wallow in the mire But you have to be renewed And it says Cast me not away from thy presence And take not the Holy Spirit from me This is a real fear of God This is David saying You know I I don't think he a more, You know I'm not saying he got lost But I'm saying he has a fear Thinking oh my goodness God, don't, don't take your love away from me. It's a real reverent fear that we should have a healthy fear. And he says, it's restored to me into the joy of my salvation and uphold with thy free spirit. And here's what it said. This is interesting. It's almost like God begins to restore him when he starts asking this. Then he says, then I will teach the transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And so what's he do? So many times we fail. And you see people do this. They fail, they make a mistake, and then they stay out of church. But the truth is, David, when he begins to get a clean heart, he says, okay, now I'll teach the transgressors your ways. Now, he's not trying to come up with a penance. A penance is something I'm paying God back. But it is the byproduct of a heart that gets right with God. A byproduct of a heart that gets right with God wants to do something for God. Now, I don't think he was ready to teach a, 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 a to preach a sermon on how not to sin, and I don't think he was ready to write a book on and six ways not to fall into sin, but I do think that as his heart was being renewed and God began to restore, he says, God, if you'll do this for me, I want to help other people come along beside him. See, that's where we get into trouble. People get forgiven, they get right with God, and then they go out and sit on their hands and they do nothing. I know that's old fashioned. I know it It sounds harsh, but the truth is they, they fail, they make a mistake and then they go back and fail and make a mistake. Let me tell you what, when you begin to teach people about God, there is an accountability that comes with that, that I think every person needs to experience. Matter of fact, I don't think they need to, they, they should. The Bible says that we are to be ready to make disciples, go into all the nations and make disciples that's part of what this Christendom is, that we, we are to make disciples. That's a calling that we do. But then David says this. He says, For what thou desirest is not sacrifice, or else I would give it thou. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. This is verse 16 and 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thy joy thou will not despise. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, thou will not despise. You see, we want to work ourselves up. We want to we want to we want to defend ourselves and say how we had a right to do it and how this person shouldn't do that or, or how I didn't know this or I didn't know that, but the truth is the greatest thing we can do is say God, break my heart over my sin. See, unless we're broken, Uh, We cannot How does God get into us He breaks us He molds us He remakes us He restores us He puts pressure on us It's like the clay that's molded They apply pressure They apply pressure They apply pressure The pressure and our failures Is how God molds us But so many people, there's different hearts of people that they fail God, they make a mistake. You know, they have, God has mercy on people like Pharaoh. God, Pharaoh would let the people go and then God would have mercy on Pharaoh. And then the Bible says that God would harden his heart. No, it wasn't God hardened his heart, but it was the mercy of God that hardened his heart. He thought, you know what? I got away with it once before. I was relieved from the judgment of sin. I was relieved and the frogs went away. I was relieved and, the, and all the fish that stank went away. I was relieved and all the grasshoppers that ate all the crops went away. And after the relief would come, he would find his uh, uh, his resolve, if you will. He would find his peace again. Then Pharaoh would go back and he'd get the Egyptians. He, he would, excuse me, he would get the Israelites again. He'd pull them back in. He'd put them back under the yoke of bondage. See, after they, the penalty of sin had been lifted after the consequence uh, of what God was trying to show Pharaoh would happen, he would lift it, then Pharaoh would go right back to the way he was. That's how we know if our heart is right with God or not. When we sin and we make a mistake and then we just go back and do it again and do it again and do it again, listen, we're all going to fail, but we had not ought to be fought, suffering over the same sins over and over and over and over. Eventually, we ought to be broken enough over our sin that we begin to change. We put banners in our life to keep those things up, to keep us from sinning. And I know we're never going to be sinless, but we're going to sin less. That's the goal. But he says, creating me a clean heart, a contrite heart. O God, that thou will not despise and do good in thy pleasure and desire and build the walls of Jerusalem. That's when we know after we've been restored Now, sometimes we've failed huge and sometimes we've failed small, but the truth is within moments and sometimes within days, depending on the failure, and sometimes within weeks and sometimes within even years, I've seen time for people to heal over some of their failures. But what I do know is that when God begins to do a work in us and we have a broken heart, what we will find, I've seen it happen a thousand times to people, they fail Normally, they'll weep, they'll cry. Not always do they cry, but they'll be broken, and then the peace of God comes in. See, that's what it says, to build thy walls of Jerusalem. The truth is, when we want resolve over our failures, when we want resolve over something we've done wrong, we need to be searching for that peace. I'm telling you, when the word of God speaks to us, when the mercy of God floods into our souls, we can't help but feel our peace begin to be restored, But you see, we can't do it when we harden our heart and we toughen up and we're going to do it better and we're going to dust ourselves off and we're going to run it harder. We're just going to be better people. It doesn't work that way. It works in the kingdom of God that we have a broken heart, we're broken over our sin, we acknowledge and we apply the blood, we apply the cross of Calvary, we apply the work that God did in our lives. We say, God, you did everything I need. You by your stripes I'm healed. The work of the cross and everything you did within that completes me for my salvation. That's justification. Now sanctification, it's a process. That's where we find the struggle. See, we are justified, we are justified by faith. We are saved by grace through faith, not by faith through grace, grace saved us. He sought us out, he saved us, but we are saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross. So you acknowledge your sin, you apply the work that Jesus did on the cross to your life. You raise up that hyssop out of the ditch, you begin to see within you an inward renewal that a broken and contrite heart that you then you begin to think, Hey, am I willing to teach others? Do I have a desire to do something positive for God? Do I have a desire to turn and to be a part of a church and be a part of a body to where I can help disciples one another. And then you search for that peace and you say, God, please restore the peace. Why is peace so important? Peace is important so we can make good decisions. Peace is important so we can lay down our head at night on a pillow and know that the sovereignty of God, even though I fail, even though I make mistakes, the peace of God is is so important that we're able to live this Christian life. When you have peace, you don't have anxiety. You can't have full peace. I mean, peace, the peace of God. You cannot have the peace of God in anxiety. You cannot have the peace of God and stay in the depression. You cannot have it. I'm not saying you don't fight it. I'm not saying you can't fall back into it. But I'm saying when you have the true peace of God, when you realize that every single bit of your sin was atoned for on Calvary's cross and that God has you in the palm of his hand and no one can remove you, the only way that you can remove is if you make a conscious choice to reject god and reject god and reject god when you realize that you're in the palm of his hand and that you serve the sovereign god of the universe then you will see god's true salvation through the peace and it will show itself i'll tell you what whenever i have peace i'm a better person when i have peace of jerusalem i'm a better husband when i have the peace of jerusalem i'm a better father The truth is we don't have any peace. We're trying to entertain ourselves. We're trying to come up with more to do for God to prove ourselves. We're trying to prove that we're good, prove that we're this, prove that we're that. And the truth is all God wants us to do is accept that he's proved everything for us and then to walk out his plan in our life. You know, and I don't know about you, and I don't know how many times you've failed or the mistakes that you've made, but... Every single one of us has had times in our life we've made mistakes and we've seen that big long finger of Nathan the prophet that's pointed at us and say, thou art the man, thou art the woman. Because the truth is that traveler that he talked about when Nathan was talking to David, we've all had that sin nature that's inside of us. David spoke of it in the 51st Psalm. He said that I was shaping iniquity in my sin. When my mother conceived me, we're born into sin. We can't get, you know, the sin, I wish whenever we were saved, that sin nature would just go away. But the truth is we all have that traveler. We all have that, 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 uh, that's part of our soul that's bent towards sin. I like to tell people we're bent towards sin. God can straighten us up, but we always are continue to be bent but we've all seen that long finger of Nathan the prophet that says, thou art the man, thou art the woman. But my question to you is, do you believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross atoned for your sin? Do you believe that the value that God placed on you, do you believe that over your sin? And I promise you this, I've applied this dozens and even I I would like to say even hundreds of times, I've applied it and known that Jesus paid the price for my sin. In other words, Jesus would never have given the price of his son. Excuse me, God would never have given the price of Jesus, his son. He would never have given that cost if he didn't need to pay that price, but he paid that price because he valued you that much. And Jesus willingly came to this earth. He walked these streets. He walked through Jerusalem. He began to build the ministry, but he willingly went and hung, and they drove nails through his hands and through his feet. He willingly did it for you because he said, I love them that much. Remember what he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wasn't just talking about the Pharisees. He wasn't just talking about the Jewish people. He was saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was talking about you. He was talking about me. And when he paid that price, that set your value at a high, high price that no one else was willing to pay. Friend, I, I encourage you in your failure, in your mistakes, that you remember that there's the only way you can view yourself in the right lens of God to have a, a proper God view, if you will. People talk about a worldview. What about a God view that you value yourself the price that Jesus paid for the sacrifice. Now that's a high value, so regardless, so that's where David did. David found resolve in all of David's failures. The Bible still said he was a man after God's own heart. How did he? How how did God determine that? He determined that because David. The difference in David and a lot of men in the Bible is David was broken over his sin, and he applied the blood of the lamb to his heart, and he began to build. What did David build? David David's home hometown was Jerusalem. He built peace. David had a lot of war, but David did a lot of work for God. And David did what he could do every time a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. So I encourage you, no matter if you failed, no matter what you've done, find your resolve in God, no matter what people think. Listen, I believe that what God says about me is more important than any person, any church, any family member, any opinion that comes down against me. I believe God's opinion higher than every other opinion. That's how I find my peace. Friends, I hope this has been a joy for you to learn. I know it's not always easy to talk about our failures, but I do believe that if we're ever going to be used by God, we're going to have to learn how to overcome our failures. Friends, until next time, God bless.